Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Reed Carruthers as his team is going for the win at the Viterra Championships in Stonewall this week, trying to get into the Briar and then. Derek Taylor stops by to chat CFL with Jamarcus Hardrick reportedly going to Saskatchewan. Oh, no. It's coming up on the podcast. And the man who will be anchoring Jets hockey again. He's back. It's Kelly Moore. Kelly, how does it feel to be back in Winnipeg? Uh, it is fantastic. Uh, I mean, I love the time away, but uh, Christian, I think you know as well as anybody uh, that I also live, eat, and breathe what I do for CJOB. And so I can't wait to get going tomorrow night. So let's go back to Friday and the trade for Sean Monahan. Your first reaction, and has it changed in the three or four days since the news came out? Not really. Uh, once Vancouver uh, was able to sign uh, Elias Lindholm, and literally, Christian, we walked in the door. Uh, from being dropped off uh, by our daughter. And uh, <laughs> I uh, was uh, unpacking some things, turned the TV on, and right then uh, that's when uh, they were talking about the, the Lindholm trade to Vancouver. So I thought, okay, I wonder how long it's going to take Winnipeg to respond. Because as much as you know, we have at times this year uh, you know, turned around and looked back at what happened last year, uh, this is a totally different team. And I think it's a totally different mindset uh, as well with management. So uh, I was not the least bit surprised uh, that the Winnipeg Jets went out and uh, and made a deal to strengthen themselves with what would have been plan B. I have to admit, I was a little surprised about how quickly it came. But uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're starting to see a new way of doing things uh, when it comes to Uh, picking up rental players because uh, I think uh, that this is going to work out really well for both Vancouver and Winnipeg uh, from the perspective that you have almost half a season with these players as opposed to a quarter of, Uh, you know, if you, if you take a look at March 8th, I think if my math is uh, correct uh, from the old rural BC one room school, uh, I believe there would have been 22 games for the Winnipeg Jets remaining from the March 8th trade deadline, as opposed to the 35 uh, that they're going to have access to for Sean Monaghan, as long as he stays healthy. And I think that's going to be the big question mark uh, because of his recent past. Right. He he has missed a number of games the last few years. But what he means to that second line as a, as a guy that can win faceoffs compared to Vladimir Mesikov in that spot, but specifically the power play, Kelly, what have they been working on with him on that top unit at practice the last couple of days from what you've seen. Bumper. Yeah. <laughs> they wasted no time. Honest to goodness, Christian, uh, you know, they did uh, they, they did a few line rushes yesterday uh, when they went back to work. But as soon as they went uh, into power play mode, I mean, Sean Monaghan went straight to the bumper and looks completely at home. I mean, that's that's been his bread and butter uh, for his entire National Hockey League career. And if there is one area where the Winnipeg Jets have found great difficulty in trying to get established, it's that bumper position on the play, uh, power play. Now, you know, you're the over-under guy, so you've got uh, Winnipeg at one for their last 26 on the power play, Pittsburgh one for their last 24, both over a seven-game span. 
Uh, you think uh, maybe the uh, <laughs> the under should be half a power play goal for tomorrow night? Well, one would think for sure with the way that both teams have been going. And also, Rick Bonus mentioned in, in the 425 Sportscast today about rust. Both these teams yep. haven't played in over well over a week. And power play is something that gets better with practice. So the you know the, the good thing is the Jets have had now a couple of skates to to kind of tailor make that or to to work on it, tinker with it. But I I just need to see it before I can believe it that it's actually going to be productive again. Yeah, the the other part of that too that that's the physical aspect of it, Christian. But then there's the mental aspect of it too. And you know it it just it yeah, these guys are elite athletes and they get paid all these ridiculous sums of money. But at the end of the day, they are just human beings. And when you are not producing uh, on a very important element of the game that you've been entrusted with, that has to weigh on you. So I think that mental reset could be good for both teams uh, from that aspect, uh, even though, like you say, they you know haven't had the chance uh, to be on the ice. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see which team uh, tomorrow night, and again on the rematch uh, in the rematch on Saturday uh, at Canada Life Center, when the Jets fans will get their first chance to see Sean Monahan in the flesh uh, in a Jets uniform. Uh, I, I I think it'll be really interesting to see what that break has done uh, for the teams, especially uh, for their power plays, because the the other part of that, as much as it's kind of flabbergasting that the Winnipeg Jets are where they are. How about the Pittsburgh Penguins when you've got Chris Letang and Eric Carlson and Jack, uh, Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and the list goes on. And, you know, Pittsburgh is even worse on the power play than the Winnipeg Jets are. And right now they are seven points out of a playoff spot in the yeah. Eastern Conference. How the, the one caveat is they are seven back of Detroit with four games in hand. It's what you do with those games in hand, yeah. though, of course that make or break your season. So this Pittsburgh team that this big move in the off season to go get Eric Carlson. And they've just been very mediocre for, for the bulk of this season. Now, Sidney Crosby hasn't been mediocre. He's been, he's been really good, especially offensively this season. He got 27 goals in 46 yeah, he's, games. He's, he's going to be, he's going to put up maybe a third highest goal total in his career this year. And the guy's 36 years old. It, it, it I, I'm at the point, Kelly, you know, when we're at games, I'm usually watching the puck. I, I Maybe if I go to Saturday's game, I'm just going to watch Crosby the whole time because I don't want to take for granted what we're seeing with this guy because yeah. he's amazing. I, I, I just hope and pray, Christian, that he is able to continue playing at the high level that he is uh, still in 2026. Yes. I would absolutely love to see uh, Sid no longer the kid. Uh, play for uh, Canada one more time. You know, and the other part of his game that we don't talk about a lot, we do talk about some, but nobody in the National Hockey League has taken more face-offs this season than Sidney Crosby. And there's a lot of wear and tear on guys taking face-offs. He's taken 1,069 face-offs, and Christian, he's won over 59% of them. And so, you know, there's another weapon that the Pittsburgh Penguins have. And I'll be real interested tomorrow night to see how the Jets fare against the number one ranked team on uh, at the faceoff dot in the National Hockey League. As much as it's been a, a struggle for the Penguins, you already talked about the crossroads they're at in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, the 
the potential for them to miss the playoffs for a second straight year. Uh, but, uh, boy, the one of the big challenges for the Jets will be up the dot, uh, where Winnipeg's tied for 27th in the National Hockey League at 46.7% against a Pittsburgh team that, as a hockey club, are better than 55% at the faceoff dot. Big thing I'm looking forward to tomorrow, Kelly, is seeing Gabriel Velarde, Kyle Connor, and Mark Scheifele together again. They were supposed to be the top line of this team. The Jets yeah. have been one of the best teams in the NHL despite this. The, te- the number one line they thought they'd have out of training camp playing 24 minutes together at 5-on-5 five five through 47 games. And here they are now back together. It, we're going to see if that small, tiny sample size that looked really good in the first couple games bears fruit and hopefully over a long stretch because that means everyone's healthy. Well, I went back and looked at my notes. They played together in the season opening loss at Calgary, the home opening win versus Florida, and then for about a period or so in game number three against Los Angeles. And then they did not get back together again. Now, Velarde did not play on that number one line against Edmonton, if memory serves me correct. And I couldn't, I'm a little sketchy uh, on uh, uh, whether he played against Chicago on the number one line. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was there for Carolina. And then, of course, they started the game against Anaheim until Kyle Connor got hurt uh, in that knee-on-knee with Ryan Strom. So by my calculations, Christian, that Shifley, Velarde, and Connor have been in the Jets lineup together for five games and parts of two others. But I think they've only played as a number one line. Now, they've they did play together as a number one power play unit, but as a number one line, I think it's only been four full games. If 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 he was on that number one line against Chicago, do you remember that? I don't think he was. I, I think yeah, he started okay, so, down further in the lineup, and I think yeah. they they brought him up to the quote unquote top line after Connor got hurt against Anaheim. So I, I think really after he got hurt against uh, L.A. They, they really haven't played together in a game at, yeah. you know, at, outside of power play time. And that's one of the staggering things about this season is that they haven't been together all at the same time. The Jets have still done this well. I think that's a testament to how well they've stuck to the structure. Oh, for sure. They, you know, and people often say, well, why do centers get paid more than wingers? Well, and, and, I want to make sure that I say this correctly so that it doesn't get misconstrued. Gabe Velarde and Kyle Connor are essential pieces to the Winnipeg Jets puzzle. I want to make sure that that's the, the clear thought. However, uh, it is more difficult down the middle to replace someone like Mark Shifley than it is on the wall to replace Kyle Connor or Gabe Velarde. And I think the proof was in the pudding, uh, Christian, on how the Winnipeg Jets were able to weather those storms compared to the six games when Mark Shifley wasn't in there. Yes, Velarde missed some too, and Connor had just come back. So clearly he wasn't you know, 100% of himself. Uh, so I, I want to put that in uh, as part of the equation as well. But I think that also, as much as Vancouver acquiring Lindholm probably uh, uh, you know, expedited the process, I don't think there was any doubt that the Winnipeg Jets uh, were going to go after Sean Monaghan hard after Elias Lindholm came off the board because of what they saw during those six games when Mark Shifley was missing. Yeah, when Connor and Velarde 
or Connor Orville already go out, you can move Nikolai Ehlers up to the top line, and, and you could argue that he is indeed a top-line player. But this... Yeah, and, and the other part of that, too, is you can also then you know put in a guy like Alex Iafalo or a Nito writer, and they're comfortable playing in the top-six position. Right, and there's just a there's just more of a drop off from Shifley to the next best center on the team and, and now there's Sean Monahan to slide into the middle on that second line. So we're gonna see what this team looks like uh, kind of at full capacity now for a, a month, potentially, if everyone stays well, healthy. For, well, yeah, we'll Knock see them the, tomorrow night. In the Pittsburgh. harshest plank of wood. I mean, <laughs> someone's probably going to get hurt. Uh, someone always does. It's hockey, right? Injuries happen, yeah. but then we'll find out if, if anything else remains to be done for Chevy before March 8th. Well, I, without a doubt, Christian, and I said this on my Jets report today, I, I think he, Patrick Alvine, and many other general managers of contending clubs are going to be in the ear of Craig Conroy for Chris Tanev uh, and or Noah Hannafin, although all the reports out of Calgary is the Flames are doing their damnedest uh, to uh, try and get something done with Hannafin. Uh, and then if, you know, you strike out on Chris Tanev, if somebody overpays, uh, then maybe you take a look at somebody like Sean Walker from the Philadelphia Flyers, because, you know, with Carter Hart now out of their, their lineup, they've started the list a little bit, giving up 27 goals during a five game losing streak. So, uh, I don't, I, I expect the Jets will be very judicious in how they go about things between now and two o'clock on March the 8th. Uh, but I think if there's the right deal to be made, uh, they would still like to bolster that blue line. Before I let you go, what's the waiver situation regarding getting everybody in the lineup tomorrow? Okay, well, as soon as it's official that Mark Shifley is activated, uh, or uh, I guess uh, in Sean Monahan, uh, I, I think Shifley's activation was why Chisholm was placed on waivers. Have I got that right, yep. Christian? Yep. Yeah, okay. So with Sean Monahan being added, before the Jets play, uh, they're they're going to have to uh, uh, make one waiver decision. Now, Rick Bonus has been a little sly and a little cagey, which he, he has often been known to do uh, when these questions come up. Uh, so I guess the other part of that is, will there be one or two waiver assignments if David Gustafson comes off injured reserve? And it didn't sound like the Jets are in any hurry to do that. So Gustafson looks fine. He's in a regular jersey, and he has been for about, what, a week and a half, two weeks here? Uh, so uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's just a uh, an injury of convenience right now because they don't want to expose a Dominic Toninato or an Axel Janssen-Fialbi. But let's face it, uh, uh, even though nothing has come from the hockey club in just the slightest of information, uh, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who the odd two forwards would be out. Because now that they have Monaghan and now that they're completely healthy, you know, it looks like Rasmus Gupari and David Gustafson as the extra forwards, Logan Stanley, the extra defenseman. And then that leaves Dominic Toninato and Axel Janssen-Fialbi uh, in a position where they'd have to go on waivers. And then if they clear, uh, be reassigned to the Moose. All right, we'll be watching for that tomorrow. Kelly, appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you on the pregame show tomorrow. Yeah, and again, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, my expert analyst uh, tomorrow night, uh, then that's because they've decided to keep David uh, Gustafson on injured right. reserve. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. Okay, you bet. Kelly Moore, host of Jets Hockey here on CJOB. Four o'clock, our pregame show begins. Six o'clock, puck drop. Well, you know, 610 puck drop in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
We know 15 of the 18 teams that will be taking part in the Briar in Regina next month. And by the end of Sunday, we will have the full field set after Manitoba and Alberta hold their playdowns, which will also determine the final wildcard team. In Manitoba, there's a clear top team amidst the 32-team field, and that's Team Carruthers. Reed Carruthers, Derek Samogalski, Connor Negevin, and new this season, Brad Jacobs. 2013 Briar champ, 2014 Olympic gold medalist out of Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. The tournament begins Wednesday morning in Stonewall. Carruthers takes on Brad Mickelson of Deer Lodge in the afternoon in his first game. Earlier today, I caught up with Carruthers to talk about the tournament. Being the top seed at this tournament, something you're familiar with, does does do you feel pressure at this point? How how does being number one going into this feel? Well, yeah, I don't know. There's there's always there's always pressure whether you're one, two, three, four, five. Like you know, there's provincial titles on the line. You know, chance to go to the Briar. So there's always that, but it's it's exciting. Um, you know, a little bit of nerves too, and if. I'm obviously a little bit nervous, but I'm excited about it. So we're just really looking forward to Stonewall. Like it's, I've been talking to someone on the or, the organizing committee, good friend of mine. And yeah, you know, I'm just, he's been showing me some pictures of the arena. I'm, I'm excited to get going already. You've been doing this for a while now. How much of the the fun you have doing this is being able to compete for such a big title in all these small markets, small towns across the province like Stonewall? Yeah, no, it's great, and the the nice part about Stonewall is, yeah, it is you know a small small community, but we're close to Winnipeg, so you know it should be well attended. Um, I know I have some friends and family that are coming to watch, and you know, same to be said about all the other athletes. There's going to be a lot of people in the building. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be, you know, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be a very well run event, and I'm just looking forward to starting. How would you describe the Brad Jacobs experience being his teammate now? Yeah, it's been a blast. Uh, he brings like a different type of energy that like I don't normally bring to the game of curling. It's like it's exciting to be out on the ice with him. You know, he's very driven, motivated, passionate. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely fun to be his teammate. He's a great guy uh, on and off the ice. Um, I've learned a lot about him that I didn't know, you know, before I had curled with him. When was the decision made to turn over shot calling and skipping to him? Yeah, I think we made the switch in December. We played one event in December with him um skipping uh skipping and like throwing last rock uh so that decision was made like right before that event and you know it's been it's been a pretty quick transition the the nice thing is like i had played third i had played third before and um you know for me so it wasn't that you know one of those moves where i hadn't done something like that before and you know, for him, you know, he had skipped for a very long time. So obviously we both were, you know, a little bit nervous making, making the move. Cause it was, you know, you almost have to like support the person in a slightly different way. Um, going from skip to third, third to skip, um, you know, it's the skips almost like the boss on a team, but like with the way that him and I have been acting and feeling out there, like there's, there's no real ego or, or boss. And like, I, you know, I've, I felt like the transition has gone really well. What was the biggest adjustment you had to make as a, a, as a line ice caller watching his rocks come down the ice compared to the other 
teammates like like Mike that you've had when you've been in the house late in an end for? Yeah, it's it's um, like I wouldn't actually say that they throw the rock all that much different. You know, both Brad and Mike, like Brad's very low. He's almost like a tuck delivery. You know, Mike's got the stereotypical uh, corn broom and, you know, he's throwing with the Manitoba tuck per se. Um, so they don't throw it all that much different. They're both very consistent. Um, I just, uh, yeah, it's getting used to, like the the angle of release. If you, if you get real technical with um, with Brad to Mike, is maybe slightly different. But um, I just find the biggest the biggest difference from being third to skip is when you're skip, you get to watch like the other the other guys throw before I'd be calling line for for Brad. But now you know, I'm sweeping. So it's, you have to, in order to be good at calling line on the two most important shots of the end, the skip shots as a third, you almost have to try to learn as much as you can from the other end about what the sheet is doing. So that's the, that's the biggest transition piece uh, is, is almost getting less information or information in a different way um, so that I'm able to actually confidently call the line for him. And it's not like you can write down this information either, right? This is stuff you just got to kind of keep in your head as you go. Yeah, mental notes. Uh, mental notes of certain spots in the ice where, you know, even as a sweeper, you're saying, oh, this this looks like this one's moving, especially you have to you have to gauge too. Was it a good throw by the thrower? Um, you know, was there, did it pick on debris on the ice or or is that just a spot on the ice that curls? So there's a whole bunch of factors that go into it. Um, and that's the one thing about about curlings the sheet looks flat but it doesn't act doesn't act like it right right for you going from skip to third then was i, I know you've swept before in your life but that is there a, an adjustment period of your body getting used to sweeping that much again yeah i would say so and it like um i was fortunate like i you know over the past summer um my my uh toddler was was starting to get old enough that I was able to spend more time in the gym getting ready for this season than I had in the the year past it was a little busier at home we'd say so you know as far as physically yes like I felt like I was able to to do what I needed to do on the brush the the biggest change is okay, you know, you've, you've been calling line, but you haven't been judging weight. That's the, that was the thing that, you know, doesn't necessarily come quickly or, or naturally, but I've actually felt uh, with the help of Derek and Connor, who have been super supportive to me, that we've been very functional in the switch. As a whole, how would you say the first season together has gone to this point with Brad? Yeah, it's been solid. Um, you know, we've had some flashes, some really good stuff, and we've also had some events that, you know, we, we wish we played a little bit better as a, as a unit. But, um, yeah, it's been great. And I would just say this is like a building a building year for us. It's our first full year with Brad, and um, I feel like we're gaining momentum, and that's essentially what, you're, what all we could really hope for going into the season was to – put ourselves in contention to try to win a Manitoba title and, and hopefully go on to the Briar and, and uh, do well. Do you like the triple knockout style or would you rather see a style similar to what there is at the Briar and like the, the Manitoba Scotties where it's, you got a couple pools and then the top move on to another pool and then you've got the semifinal and the final. Do you, do you like the bracket yeah. or do you like the pool? Uh, well, I like, like, if it's if it's going to be a bigger format like this, you know, this is, I guess you'd call this like a modified double. It's almost like two tournaments in one. 
you know, you're, you're coming out of your bracket of eight. Uh, so from the 32, four brackets of, of eight, you know, you get down to a final eight and then you're down to like, then it's almost like a double knockout. Um, I do like the format. Um, I think I like it more than the round robin format that's played at the Scotties, but you know, the, the Briar and the, in the national Scotties, I think is a great format. So if we ever went to a smaller format, I think I'd want to see something like that in the provincial style setup. Right. Cause it's, it's 32 teams at the Viterra and at the Manitoba Scotties, I think it was, I think it's 12. So a big yeah. difference there. Yeah, big difference. Amount of teams obviously plays a huge factor in in the format. So, but I, I like the format. I like I like that uh, I like what we have going here in Manitoba. Um, you know, I feel like at the end of the week, is it too many games? No. Is there too many teams? Well, the only the only thing I would say is if we ever get to a point where we can't fill the thirty two teams, or you know, they're they're trying to find ways to pick pick those extra teams to because there isn't 32 teams that want to compete in the provincial championships then you'd have an issue but we're definitely not at that time yet so last year we saw mike McEwen wearing an ontario jacket at the briar i thought that was weird uh we're going to see him in a saskatchewan jacket this year after he won that provincial you're obviously i'm assuming you're happy for your friend but do you agree that seeing him in green is going to be a little off-putting at least at first uh I don't, I don't know. Like to me, it's like, I, I'm obvi- I was, yeah, obviously I'm cheering for Mike. He's still a good friend of mine. And um, yeah, I, like I'm going to rib him too about wearing the green. Cause I, I think there's definitely like an inherent rivalry between, you know, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. There always has been like being the two stereotypical prairie provinces, um, you know, and we even have like the rider, <laughs> the rider bomber um, rivalry going on. So uh, it will be funny. I just, I still have to earn my right to uh, wear the brown or yellow <laughs> this year. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But yes, I am pumped to see that Mike won the green. Yes, that's that's true. You still have to win it. A chance too that if, if for some reason you don't win Manitoba and, and Kevin Cooey wins the Alberta title, you're probably in as a wild card. But that's probably not how you want to think as a, as a yeah, yeah, high level don't. athlete. Yeah, definitely don't. And and to be honest, like they're provincial finals after ours. So like, I don't, um, I won't know. So all I can do is prepare, you know, as a team, all we can do is prepare to just go out and win. Um, and at the end of the day on that Sunday, if we're in the briar, we're in the briar. If we're not, we're not. It's, it's, uh, you know, I want to win a title. That's, that's what it's all about. It's trying to win, you know, the right to be team Manitoba. Um, if we get rewarded for consistency at the end of the day and get a get a, a quote unquote wild card spot, I'm I'll be happy. But uh, yeah, I want to win the title. Well, Reid, appreciate your time today. Thanks for this, and best of luck this week. Yeah, no, thank you very much. All right, you take care. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more. Every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all that they should. So sad that they should come to this. We try to warn you of the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain the